You're listening to MLB.com Extras, brought to you by MLB.tv. It's baseball everywhere. Hey, everyone. Tim McMaster here, along with our MLB.com Red Sox reporter, Ian Brown. And, Ian, obviously a big series going on with the Baltimore Orioles right now. The Red Sox drop the opener, but then bounce back and win on Wednesday night. So that sets up a a key game on Thursday. Um, Let's go back through games one and two, though. First off, game one, David Price pitches well, doesn't get the win. It seems like we've said that kind of off and on throughout the season, and I, and I think it kind of goes back to the home run ball because he keeps giving up those home runs. Has he talked much about what he has to do to to stop? Because he I think he gave up two hits on Monday, right? But but or very few hits. But yeah. when he gives up the hits, yeah, they're know, leaving the park. Just uh, you know, mistakes here, mistakes there. I mean, to tell you the truth, if a guy's giving up uh, two or three runs in a start, um, you know, I don't think that it matters if it's a home run or you know how he gives up the run. You know, you'll. He'll take that kind of performance. So uh, it's just been isolated in the last uh, couple starts. And uh, I think the the general story, though, is that David Price is very much getting himself back on track right now. And this is a very good sign. He's pitched well. I think it's uh, seven times in a row since he hit that real low point at Yankee Stadium in early May. So uh, it's funny. <laughs> you know, he was 7-1 and one when he wasn't pitching well, and now he's pitching great, and he's lost three straight starts. So it's just the way uh, baseball works sometimes. But, yeah, no, David Price uh, – no longer a concern on this team, which is a good thing. Yeah, the problem on Monday was Chris Tillman, who is back to 2014 Chris Tillman for the Orioles. He's really become an ace, and that team really needs him to be good because that's about all they have right now. But somehow they've been winning with, with that offense that we've seen. Um, but but then the Red Sox get a bounce back, and, and thanks to their stopper, I guess. Um, as you said, David Price is getting getting into that groove, and he's been really good lately. Stephen Wright, it's been all season long, second in the American League in ERA right now. And this feels like one of those – used to see this with Tim Wakefield every once in a while, right? He'd get on one of those rolls and locked in with the knuckler where it's really dancing. And these guys can be unhittable for stretches. Yeah, you know, even Tim Wakefield really – he had a terrific career with the Red Sox. He won uh, you know, 200 games in his career, but – the only time, you know, he ever got in a stretch like this, like this one that Wright is on right now, which is just not just a good pitcher but an ace pitcher, is 1995 when he first joined uh, the Red Sox. And that's kind of, you know, how Wright is right now. Wakefield is 14-1 and one at one point that season. And, you know, Wright is just uh, going up there every single time and giving you innings. He's only giving up uh, one or two runs. And uh, it's just been amazing to watch. The one difference with Wright and Wakefield, Wright has a little more bite a little more speed on the end of that knuckleball, so it makes it a little tougher. And even when uh, hitters do time it right, they they tend they will be more apt to miss it or be a little behind it. So uh, you know, Wright's been, uh, you know, I think the the best story on the Red Sox, one of the best stories of baseball, really, is you look at a guy who was just battling to, for a, a long relief spot in spring training. Nobody even expected him to be in the re- the rotation. Your number five starter coming in becomes your best starter here in the, the middle of June. Yeah, he has been unbelievable. And sticking with the rotation, Ian, Rowenis Elias is uh, going to make a start for the Red Sox. Obviously, he's the other guy that they got in that trade uh, with the Mariners uh, during the offseason, and they knew at some point they'd be calling upon him, and, and now is the time. What can we expect from Elias? Yeah, I think Elias is a little uh, determined here because, he was, look, he was surprised that he didn't make the team in spring training, he was the guy who started quite a few games for the Mariners the last two years. I think he thought he was going to make this team in some capacity, and it was kind of a uh, you know humbling to him when he didn't. So he's uh, he's pitched really well at uh, AAA his last 
four or five starts now, so he wants to, uh, you know, facing Seattle, you're always a little motivated, against, you know, against the team that traded you, so it's kind of fitting that his first start comes against the Mariners here at Fenway on Friday. So it's going to be uh, interesting to watch to see if, uh, you know, he has a chance to decide, you know, is this just going to be a one-start thing, or will he be in the rotation for more than one start? And I think that's what we find out starting on Friday. And you would think with the need for a starter, the first name that would pop up would be sticking Clay Buckholes back in there, but instead they go with Elias and Buckholes. I mean, he hasn't been a lot. He hasn't really been better since moving to the pen, right? Ian? I mean, he's given up three earned in in six and a third innings. He hasn't really been in any big spots. Um, how's he handling all this on a daily basis? Yeah, I think it's tough for Clay. I mean, the guy's been a starter his whole life. Feels like a little bit of a. Uh, you know, fish out of water. It's not like, uh, as you mentioned, it's not like high leverage situations. So he's pitching in here. There was one time in Toronto where he came in extra innings there and got the win that that day. And I think that was fun for him. But, uh, you know, aside from that, just getting a feel for the routine and they're still trying to keep him stretched out. So, you know, to me, the interesting thing is Clay Buckles is inevitably going to get another crack to start. It's going to be, you know, how much this wake-up call um, you know, motivates him to really pitch the way he's capable of. Well, then, you know, the light click on for Clay, and then you start to see him get on one of those roles. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a start really as early as next week because, look, uh, Eduardo Rodriguez has not been impressive since he came back. Elias, um, you don't know how long he's going to be in the rotation. So uh, Buck hopes to get a chance here. Uh, in the near future. Um, you know, like I said, I'm really curious to see if he can kind of hit the ground running with that and sort of reclaim that spot in the rotation. Hanley Ramirez hit a uh, ball onto Lansdowne Street on Wednesday night. It really crushed one, and, and it had been a while. There was a drought there. Um, things were out of sorts. Uh, he had hit some home runs early in the season, but is he getting back into it? Is it clicking? And what Has he talked at all about what the mechanical issue has been? Is there is there an a reason for the struggles that he had been having? Yeah, it was just a timing mechanism, really. He was a, a touch late. I don't think that he was seeing the ball particularly well either. Hitters just go into those uh, those funks sometimes. And I think, um, you know, what's happened, you saw him walk. He's walked in five straight games now. So when he's walking, that means that he's seeing the ball well. He's knowing which pitches to lay off, which pitches to swing at. So, he, you know, he was noticeably confident after the game. Uh, he says that he's ready to get hot. And that would be a big boost for this, uh, you know, Sox lineup because you can't expect Bogarts and Ortiz and some of these other guys to keep at the pace they've been at. So you need somebody else to sort of step up when one of those guys cools off. And uh, Hanley thinks that could be him. You mentioned Ortiz, who just doesn't seem like he's ever going to cool off. Just continues to be on fire in his final season in the major leagues, and and a neat uh, milestone, I guess we could put it. Um, he's joined now Carl Yastrzemski, Dwight Evans, Ted Williams, and Jim Rice as the only players to appear in at least 1,000 games at Fenway Park. Uh, that's pretty amazing for a guy that, when you think about when he came to the Red Sox, what his situation was, having been released by the Twins, being picked up off waivers, comes to the Red Sox, and now a 1,000 games later at Fenway Park. It's remarkable. Yeah, it really is. David has not only put up uh, monster numbers, since he's been here in Boston, but uh, remarkably durable if you look at it. I mean, really, uh, 2008, he had a wrist injury, which kept him out about a month and a half. Uh, 2012, he had an Achilles injury that knocked him out the second half of that year, but only because the team was out of contention. I think if they were in the race, um, they they might have thrown caution in the wind there and got him back. So, yeah, just been uh, you know, almost like uh, Tom Brady with the Patriots. So, you know, another, you know, they, their careers have seemed to span each other's here in Boston and the, all the championships, but, you know, both of them just have just 
kept their bodies in shape and been able to just stay on the field and uh, not <laughs> let anybody else take that position from them. Ian, Rosny Castillo's in the lineup on Thursday night. Um, it's been a while since we uh, kind of uttered those words, but what, is, what does he need to do here when he gets his chances in order to get more chances? Yeah, he needs to hit the ball, Tim, and that's uh, you know he can he's a fine at defense. He's a good, pretty good left fielder, especially here at Fenway. Um, if he can get on base, he can move around a little bit and give you a spark there. But just has not been able to elevate the baseball or hit for any extra base power um, really since the spring because he really came into the year projected as the Red Sox starting left fielder, and then they saw his at bats. And not that you go by spring training stats, but that what they were going by was that he had just become a ground ball machine. He was no longer elevating anything. And uh, even at Pawtucket this year when he's having success, mostly ground ball singles. So he needs to start uh, driving the ball again. And if he can do that, then maybe he can uh, factor into a more prominent role in the, the team here. We talked about the draft last week as far as a preview goes, Ian, and, and the possibilities kind of for the Red Sox. Uh, I don't think they could have asked for really more than what, what turned out uh, being the way things shook out. Uh, and they, they've come to an agreement with the second-rounder, C.J. Chatham, uh, agreeing on a deal, um, but the number one pick is the interesting one. They get at number 12. They get Jason Groom. Here's a guy that was ranked number one on MLBPipeline.com's uh, top draft prospects as far as talent goes. Uh, high school pitcher from New Jersey. He's an advanced high school pitcher who a lot of people say if he gets things uh, sorted out off the field, could move very quickly um, and get to the major leagues maybe quicker than you would think a high school player would. But there's a reason he went number 12. There are There's smoke. There's a lot of rumors about, about him off the field and, and things there. Um, the Red Sox, though, sound confident that they know who this kid is and they feel like they can get him headed in the right direction. Tim, I don't know if it's so much confident. I think it's the fact that they look at him as such a talent that they thought that they had to take a chance here. And they thought that they had to, you know, this could be a franchise pitcher. So if you can get a guy like that with a 12th pick in the draft, uh, who a talent like this might ultimately go top five in most cases, you know, give yourself a chance. And the way they look at it, you know, they'll try and sign him. Rumors are he really he wants a lot of money. They don't sign him. You know what? Uh, the Red Sox then get the, uh, I think it's the number 13th. They would get the number 13th pick in the draft next year as compensation yep. for not signing Groom. So I think they look at it as, hey, let's take a chance on this. If we get him, great. And if not, uh, we'll try our luck again next year in the draft. And I know he'll probably come right down to the wire So as far as signing goes in the deadline. I would think it'll be a situation where the Red Sox are going to end up signing all their other guys in the top ten rounds. They're going to have a certain amount of money left over. And it may not come down to much of a negotiation more than just, hey, this is what we have left. Take it or leave it. Yeah, I think it's going to be real interesting to see what ha- what happens here. And uh you know, I don't really know what's going on with the, the kid uh, off the field or attitude-wise. You just hear kind of rumblings. I thought it was very serious that um, you know the Red Sox couldn't even get this kid on a conference call with their media the night they drafted him. Uh, this is my 15th year covering the Boston Red Sox, and it's the first time they ever haven't been able to get uh, the draft pick on the phone to do a conference call with reporters. So to me, that right there is an indication that you know something is amiss here between this kid, his representation, and whatever team is trying to sign him. So they need to sort of see if they can bridge that gap and make him part of the family because uh, you know, right now it doesn't really feel like he's, uh, he's part of the family. Yeah, certainly some things need to be worked out. If there's anything, if there's a silver lining here is supposedly Jason Groom did grow up a Red Sox fan. So maybe at the end of the he day. He did, that, yeah. yeah. And the so, fact is this guy used to go to Yankee Stadium 
um, wearing Pedro Martinez jerseys or Manny Ramirez jerseys. And to me, that shows you the, kid, the kid's got guts right there, right? <laughs> so maybe at the end of the day, that's enough, and they'll get things done. We'll see. It's certainly going to be an interesting story to watch, and if they do sign him, he'll be an interesting story to follow up through the minor leagues. All right, great stuff as always, Ian. This has been MLB.com Extras, our Red Sox edition. For Ian Brown, I'm Tim McMaster. Tune in again next week. MLB.tv Premium, the number one live streaming sports service, is celebrating 13 years. Watch every out-of-market regular season game live or on demand in true HD. Real-time highlights, live look-ins, pitch tracking widget, and more. MLB.tv Premium includes a free At-Bat 15 subscription. Watch live baseball on over 400 mobile and connected devices. Watch at home, in the office, or on the go every night on every device. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Visit MLB.tv for details.